Live. Say again. I said, "How you doing, man?" <laughs> uh, we're, we're doing. We're doing. Yeah. We got a lot of uh, bangle love going on on our our Twitter feed. Well, I mean, it's I mean, it's about who does the work, man. That guy's putting in the work, so <laughs> yes. <laughs> I hear you. So, I mean, I, I mean, somebody else made that comment to me too. But I mean, the guys came on. I mean, we're getting a lot of results from the website too. So, I mean, I don't are know. we? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right. I mean, I, I'm posting as much as I can. I mean, you got the stuff. I mean, post all the brown stuff you want to. I'm trying to talk yeah. to other dudes um, to post stuff too. So, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I hear you. He yeah, posts a lot of Buckeye stuff too. So, yeah, I know. Um, and speaking of which, uh, this season, I don't know if you want to get with John and you guys just try to do it in the book, you produce it or whatnot, because I'm going to be having my hands full with, you know, our Brown show, NFL show, and the NCAA show, you know, like, and then, like, helping him with that pod, because he wants off podcast. So it's just, you know, if you guys can figure out what you guys want to do, you know what I mean, even if you want guys to go bi-weekly or something like that, you know, so. Yeah, we'll we'll figure that out. All right. All right. Um, I figure we just do Indians and Browns all together, you know, so. That's fine. All right. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and J. Show 99, Be Aggressive, IMB, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to Seabus. I don't know. What are we talking? <laughs> We're talking Indians and Browns. There you go. We're talking Wahoos and Brownies. All right, ladies and gentlemen, in this podcast, we're talking your Cleveland Indians, making a move to get to the World Series. Uh, all the transactions that have happened with Miller and Dwyer. Um, we talk about Danny Salazar, the injuries, who we'll see. And, of course, we're going to talk about Jonathan LaCroix and his disregard for wanting to be a Cleveland Indian. Um, we'll look ahead at uh, what's going to happen. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the celebration of Jim Tomey yet again, and we'll also take a look at the narrative, has it died, whether or not the Dolans are still cheap or the Indians have turned the corner with that narrative. We'll then take a look at the Cleveland Browns, who have a couple of serious days of training camp behind them now as they get ready for their first preseason game. Uh, take a look at the position battles. What's happening in the offensive line? Uh, the the jam, the log jam at wide receiver, or the lack thereof when people are healthy. Um, of course, the best question and always the question with the Cleveland Browns the quarterback position, and anything and get Jake's take from the big brown orange and brown scrimmage in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Jake, let's get into it with the Cleveland Indians. Um, I think the most important thing is these injuries. We know Jan Gomes went down. I think that rotation has suffered since then. Uh, Danny Salazar feels something in his arm. Uh, Manager Terry Francona kind of says it's all in his head. Um, The MRI came back negative, but he's down down on the 15-day DL. Um, And then, of course, we have the trades. Andrew Miller got his first win yesterday. 
Uh, what do you think of utility man Ryan Dwyer? And that's where we are as far as Indians rotation goes right now, where it comes to players and, in and out. And, of course, we got to talk to Matthew Clevenger had a good outing the other day, but we got the 71 South, you know, up and down going, the uh, 71 South demon drop when it comes to guys coming up and down from Cleveland to Columbus. So where are we at with this tribe right now with all these things happening and these guys still competing to stay in first place in the division? Well, a lot of stuff there for sure. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's time to overreact uh, as an Indians fan right now. You won 14 in a row. Was it 14? Something like that. Um, you really, I think, 10 and 9 or 10 and 10 since the All-Star break. So it's not the end of the world. We're still scoring runs. We're fifth in the American League in – actually, we're fifth in baseball in runs scored, uh, team average. Uh, so that that it's just a long season. It's a marathon season. You're going to have some up and down. Uh, as far as the pitching goes, yeah, definitely Jan Gomes going down hurts the starting staff. We see how valuable uh, a catcher is, even when he's hitting 198, to the success of a team when he's that good of a defensive catcher uh, and being able to know what pitch to call when. Uh, in the pitching staff in general, I mean, even Salazar and Carrasco had a bad start as he gets ready to try to bounce back today. Uh, it, it's just, again, it's a long season. We saw Madison Bumgarner get lit up in his last start. Uh, Steven Strasburg got lit up yesterday. So it's not like uh, we're the only pitchers going through this. It's the middle of August, kind of dead arm period in baseball. And they'll just work their way through it. Uh, the Andrew Miller trade is huge for us. Uh, it sets up the back of the bullpen. We were calling for it all year, or not all year, but uh, when it became something that might be realistic, we were calling for it for sure. And hats off to them to go out and get it done. Uh, you lose Clint Frazier, but that's the price you pay. He's just a prospect. Andrew Miller is a known commodity right now uh, that probably is, if not the best closer in the American League, he's right up there. Uh, so uh, you get a lot of good things going on, and I'm not that concerned. Uh, the Tigers' bullpen is garbage. Um, their starting staff is so-so. They can hit, and that's, that's their strength. We've got nice balance. Uh, hopefully we get Young Gomes back to the playoffs, and that'll help. And then uh, Dr. Smooth, Michael Brantley, that's going to be huge if we can get him back. Uh, I know Joe Colon was doing a uh, simulated game the other day, and Brantley was uh, was actually there uh, taking swings. Uh, so it, it's still a long way to go, and uh, I think the Indians are going to be just fine. Yeah, it, one of my biggest things right now is, and I, I you know I always find something to harp on, this Jimenez guy was running his mouth about Jonathan LaCroix, and then he has that terrible error, which Terry Francona said they talked to him every day about in Baltimore, at the end of that game, and that was a win we could have had in the, in the chamber. And then the other day, I mean, uh, Crockett's on the mound, and, I mean, he goes out to talk to this kid with two guys on, and I know this is real nitpicky, but how do you come out? And this guy, it was like he was trying to walk the guy intentionally how far he was off from the frame, uh, off of the frame for where the Jimenez was set up at. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know how you have a conversation and you come out and throw two balls. Um, you have a conversation at the mound, you come out and throw two balls. But then with Jimenez, my biggest thing right now, and it goes to that pitch frame you think, kind of talked about it briefly, but I think that's where they're suffering. I mean, you made, you made the point, yeah, Jan Gomes was only hitting 198, but 
I think he had the comfort with that staff. We know him and has a good relationship with Trevor Bauer. But with the rest of the staff, they've really been struggling to get down. I mean, we saw Salazar get lit up in the game. I mean, elbow I mean, elbow issue or not, I mean, this guy's just leaving pitches over the plate. I mean, as a catcher, you've got to calm that guy down and tell him, you know, placement is important. So I, I know they're struggling when it comes to all that. You're saying it's a dead-arm period, but it just seems like there's some small things out there. And the Indians, God love them. They have fought back in some of these games when they have been down to even double-digit runs um, to make it exciting. So I, I'm not I'm not panicking when it comes to that. It's just I I, I just want to see a little bit better of uh, the, the 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 basics of baseball when we go through these periods, um, even if it's not you know our number one guys out there. Uh, let's get into this Jonathan Lacroix talk though. Um, I do I do give credit and they were very aggressive going after Andrew Miller. It was one of those. You know, I mean, we yeah, like you said, we talked about it, but it's one of the times that you've got to just sit back and applaud the Indians' front office. Um, and we'll get to the ownership here in a second. But the Jonathan McCroy thing, I don't know what a 31-year-old catcher thinks he's going to make on the open market and the MLB. And a guy who says he wants to play for a contender, but he just doesn't want to play for the contender of the Indians, just say that. Like, and, and, and if you can't beat out Jan Gomes, who's only hitting 198, I don't, I don't know. And my thing is, you can always request another trade. I, I, I'm just missed by the whole situation. Um, but I, like you said, you always want guys that want to be, you know, in the locker room or in the clubhouse. You know, you want somebody that doesn't want to be there. So I guess the Lacroix thing all worked out. Well, I think you look at Lacroix, and like you said, he's 31 years old and having probably his best season ever. Uh, would like to capitalize that in the off season by becoming a free agent. Uh, the thing is, though, he was never going to be a free agent with any other team in baseball, including the Indians. Uh, he's got a, a club option for next year. Uh, whoever was going to get him off the no trade, uh, off the teams that he didn't have protected from no trade clauses, they're all going to pick up that option next year. The Milwaukee Brewers were going to pick up that option next year. Uh, so it, it's to me, it, it was delusional of him to think that he was going to be able to become a free agent at the end of the year. The Indians' hang-up was that you have Mike Napoli and Carlos Santana free agents at the end of this year. So when Jan Gomes gets healthy, he's your catcher. He, and we, we were just talking about how important he is to a starting staff. And Jonathan Lucroy, being 31 years old and not as good defensive catcher as, uh, as Gomes is, that if we were to lose Mike Napoli or Santana or both of them, then he would be the guy that would have to step in as the designated hitter or the first baseman. And I think that was the plan that really threw off Lucroy and said, you know, I don't want to be a first baseman or a DH because after the next year, I become a free agent and I want a big money catcher contract. So it just, it wasn't going to work out. The Indians weren't going to waive that last year uh, when giving up that many prospects to get a guy that you're basically renting. So it just, uh, it, it's unfortunate. You would like to have seen the deal get done because it would have really helped this lineup, uh, but we don't need him. Um, I wish he would have gotten traded to the Atlanta Braves for it, but uh, he ends up in Texas, and now he can catch in 110-degree weather the rest of the summer, so good luck to him. Yeah, people say that's where catchers go to die down there, and he, um, you look at what Texas did, the Rangers did, as the Indians are you know, right behind them for the best record in the AL. They, they bring in Carlos Beltran, the elusive Carlos Beltran, who has been rumored in many deals for the Indians for the last 10 years. <laughs> uh, 
What do you think? We know they got the hitting. I mean, you talk about, and that, this is one thing I think that, you know, you know, uh, Scary Indian fan or Tribe Twitter, I think we're all looking down the line to a series with Detroit where if Tribe's only up, let's just put it out there. If we're going to a series, going to a series with Detroit where it's three games. And, it's, and and we're playing a three-game series. And, I mean, the way J.T. Martinez came back with a bang, we're looking at these teams, whether it's the Rangers or the Tigers, they're only bringing hitting. You know, like you talked about how bad that Tigers bullpen is. They're struggling with guys down there. They're trying to see if you garbage comes back with the Rangers or whatnot. But they got the hitting. So, it's like if we're still struggling at catcher, Luke Croy could have – I just don't understand. You can come in and catch one of the best staff for the next two years, and you can figure out the rest. You know, but you can catch one of the best staffs in this year, and you know these guys are going to the playoffs. How do you walk away from that, no matter what economic concerns? And the last question, i I, I got to get back to this. What would be that big money contract for a catcher? How much do you think he could have made or can make? That's the thing. For a 31-year-old catcher, he's not getting a five-year deal, right? It would be three to four years. Am I, am I wrong in thinking that, thinking about him getting down on his knees for, you know, being 32 and 33? Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't think he's getting something like a six-year deal. Um, but I do think he could have it, – it's more valuable if you're a catcher that can hit than you are if you're just a DH or a first baseman that can hit when you're 32. So if you can get a three- or four-year deal and get good good money, all-star type money for a catcher, uh, I, I think it makes sense as far as a business standpoint goes if you if you spend the entire next year as a first baseman or dh uh you're just not going to get the same contract as you would if you've proven again in the second year that you can still hit and that you can still catch i i i got so you were talking 15 to 20 mil versus like a mike napoli contract of 9 mil to 12 million something like that so that's what yeah okay uh, I mean, hey, actually, uh, well, but we'll leave that alone. But what do you think about the the, the moves that the Rangers and uh, the, the hot hitting Tigers? I mean, we're looking at hitting versus pitching. I mean, am I am I crazy to see that foreshadowing though coming down the line of a series where we're maybe only up four games? I mean, I think that's what everybody loved that win cushion of about being up seven, and that's what I think got everybody a little shaky right now. Yeah, I don't think we're going to – I think we're going to start pulling away here come September from the Tigers. Again, they don't have the pitching to hang in the, in the long term. Um, my my thing is I want to see the Rangers at the playoffs. Uh, they made two good moves with Lucroy and Beltran. They also brought in some relievers uh, to help their bullpen out. Their starters are a little thin once you get past uh, Cole Hamels and you Darvish. Uh, and even you Darvish, who's coming back from uh, – from injury for the last two years, it seems like uh, he's not the same that he was a couple of years ago. So uh, the starting pitching is a little bit shaky. I think for the Rangers, the bullpen got better. Uh, their offense is, is pretty good. So I, I really think that the Rangers improved themselves the most. Uh, Detroit really didn't make any moves to do anything. Uh, they're, they're just going to roll with what they have. And I think that's a big reason and maybe a big mistake by them to not be more active in the trade deadline because here they are two games out of first place and they don't have any reinforcements coming. Well, I will say one positive thing, and it's just, you know, a small observation. I mean, it's stating the obvious, but this guy, Jason Kipnis, is having a hell of a year, man. I mean, that 12 o'clock, I was listening to it on the radio, but to lead off that game the other day with a home run, and I was just thinking, 
last, like, you know, the season when Brantley was going crazy, Kipnis was playing terrible. I mean, at least hitting terrible. I mean, I didn't like the way he played defense either, but, I mean, and we know he was cutting off some injuries and whatnot. But it seems like Kipnis is 100% healthy. You're seeing it at the at-bats. You're seeing it in the defense. Um, and it's one of those things. I know they're, they're, they're challenging for first, but, but if we can get Brantley back, I know this is the obvious, but you just if those two guys were playing at the same level, I mean, my goodness, sky would be the limit for, you know, I think that would have everybody more excited in the tribe, uh, tribe, tribe land here. Um, we talked about – we talked about – go ahead. No, I, I think that's that's the point. I mean, this top four, I mean, even Santana this year has been great in that leadoff role, uh, his on-base percentage. Napoli, uh, with all the home runs and clutch hits, and he sees so many pitches that it just, it, again, it turns the the rotation over, it turns the pitching staff over uh, for the opposing team because they these guys, their pitch counts are so high that you need to take a lot of, pitches and uh and see a lot of pitches and then you got tyler naquin and jose ramirez naquin probably is gonna is up there for rookie of the year and jose ramirez we were expecting to be a 200 a 250 hitter that was a utility guy so you got to have a couple surprises as well uh as as the guys you're counting on being as clutch as they've been uh in the top four with lindor as well yeah and you you look we we talk about it, the Naquin thing being AL rookie of the month for the last two months. I mean definitely you wonder if he should be everyday player. I mean we know Abraham Almonte won't be around and the guy's still fumbling. And he had a great catch the other day, but uh, out there in center field, I mean you, you wonder what the Indians can do in outfield as we wait for Michael Brantley. You know if he's going to re- return or not. Um, if that's a move, I mean, I'm not going to second-guess Terry Francona, though. He's got us this far. Uh, I'm a little upset at some of the pitching, at some of the reliever decisions when he sends some guys to the games and, and stuff like that. But once again, that, that, that's the kicking of the everyday in and out of baseball. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when he runs Bud Shaw out there three consecutive days after he's blown leads in two consecutive days, uh, that can be a little infuriating at times. But to answer your question, I think Nyquin is now entrenched as part of this starting lineup. Uh, I think when Brantley gets back, he still holds down center field, and we're going to see maybe a little bit of a platoon in right between Rajay Davis and Lonnie Chisholm. But even Lonnie's had a great year. Defensively, he's one of the best uh, best right fielders in baseball. Uh, making diving catches, I guess. <laughs> maybe not. Who knows? Uh, but diving catches, is he's got an accurate, strong arm. And he's in around 300. So I, I really think with Lonnie, getting him off third base has really freed him up to become the hitter that we all thought he could be. Uh, he's not having, he doesn't have to concentrate as hard as he does on defense. And uh, I think we're seeing some of the rewards now. Now, the Cleveland media, and when I say Cleveland media, I'm talking sports talk radio, uh, you know, the print writers, the beat writers and whatnot. Everybody, I don't know if they got a, a, a – Christmas in July gift from the Cleveland Indians or something, but now all of a sudden we they, they were trying to bury this narrative that the Dolphins are cheap just because the Indians are doing well this season under the same structure that they've had for the last since the Dolphins have owned the team. Um, the the big money people they went out they bring in Andrew Miller, but the other ones that you think about they've done you know you point definitely to Nick Swisher or Michael Bourne. I mean, other than that, what have they done to end this narrative of you know? being cheap. I, I just don't see it, and I don't even understand why we're talking about it right now. Well, I understand why we're talking about it right now, because one thing that I hate 
is when somebody, you know, tries to take a good positive time with your sports franchise and then they try to put something underneath the rug to the fans like we're not smart enough to see what you're trying to do. Like, you know, don't don't try to bring up this Dolan's Chief thing and try to bury it now because, you know, as soon as something bad happens, if it's next year or anything, that'll be the same thing you go back to when you don't have anything to write about if the Indians were losing. Yeah, and you're right. I don't know if cheap's the right word as much as they are always going to be fiscally responsible. They're not going to go out and overspend and not try to even turn a profit. Um, the Indians are locked up the way they are because of, uh, honestly, the front office and the job Annetti's done and even Shapiro in the past. Uh, we've killed those guys for a long time, but you look at our starting rotation right now, we've got them all locked up till about 2020, I believe, except for maybe uh, Tomlin, I think, may come up in 2019. So, I mean, we've signed Carrasco early enough in his career that we don't have to overpay him. We signed Kluber early enough in his career that we don't have to pay him. They waited on Lindor. They waited on uh, um, Danny Salazar, so they have their rights for a long time. Um, I, I think it's more of a shade back to the, the mid-'90s Indians when you were locking up Sandy Alomar and locking up Jim Tomey and uh, Charlie Nagy and all those guys. So uh, it, it's it, the Indians' front office has never been afraid to make the move, it seems like, if they're in that position. Uh, they're just not going to do it to pay a guy uh, $20 million. And uh, it seems to be working out for us at the moment. Uh, it's never ideal because there's always going to be some time where you're going to struggle for a few years so you get it back to where you want it to be. Um, but, yeah, the Dolans aren't, aren't going to be the type that's going to go out and sign someone to a $100 million deal. Well, one of the things you speak of, um, Francisco Mija comes to mind, whether or not, you know, you talked about the control that they maintain over other people. Is that an option for catcher, or are we going to play the waiting game again so we control him? And then you talked about the platoon at right field. Everybody's talking about it right now with what the Dodgers did to Yasiel Puig. Um, and I think about Sandy Alomar, and I think about Terry Francona and the people that we have in this in this Indians management, you know, or at least on the coaching staff. Would that be an option that you look at, even, even want to fiddle with uh, right now? I know you said everything's fine, but those are two things that, you know, I mean, the Mihai thing is more because he's inside of our system already. Uh, that could be a move to help the Indians. Uh, definitely, you know, what we're trying to do right now is finish this marathon. And I think those are two options out there that I know people have been talking about. Well, with Mejia, and by the way, he's now broken the minor league record for consecutive hits in a game. He's hit in, I think it's 47 straight games now. Uh, so I, I would like to see 47 straight hits up here and in, 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 in the big <laughs> And I wonder when the national media is going to pick up on this because he's within uh, 10 now of uh, the legend, Joe DiMaggio. So uh, that that could uh, be an interesting storyline. But as far as – Hold on, hold on real quick. quick. Hold on real quick. The national media is too busy covering the retirement of Mark Teixeira and Alex Rodriguez. So uh, <laughs> I don't think they're they, – they're going to try to squeak that, that Joe DiMaggio record getting broken under the rug. But by the way, breaking news, A-Rod uh, announced that he'll play his final game on Friday, this Friday, August 12th, and then he'll become an advisor to the Yankees. So <laughs> the Yankees are still going to try to get a little bit of blood out of that rock, and we'll see what happens there. Um, but Mejia, he's, he's played all this year in Class A Lynchburg. 
that's their high uh, high end A club, and he's still two years out. Uh, he's the, uh, he's not an option for this year at all. Uh, he's probably going to play Double A next year, and then hopefully the year after that we'll maybe possibly see him up in Cleveland at some point. Uh, as far as Yasiel Puig, no way. I want no part of that guy. He is completely immature. Uh, he's completely regressed since he's had a good year in 2013 and 14. Um, and he's a terrible, terrible teammate from everything I hear. And if there's one under, uh, underrated thing that this team has done, remember go back to last year when they had that stupid little players contract that we were talking about where all the players were uh, Corey Kluber and the leadership committee with Kipnis and whoever else was on that drew up a contract that all players had to sign, it's actually pretty much work. I mean, these guys are bought in. We can nitpick a little bit here about uh, some odds and ends and decisions, but these guys give it all every game. And we saw it, we talked about it earlier. They battle back. Even when they get down, they're, they're, they're battling all the way to the end. They're running out ground balls, except for Abraham Almonte that one time. But uh, I, I really think that it's about having a good team chemistry right now in the clubhouse that's going a long way towards this. And UCL Puig would be venom to that. Who's the guy I'm thinking of? Was it Brandon Phillips who went from Cleveland to Cincinnati? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, 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 I look at his situation. Here, here's the real answer, and I agree with you. We don't got time to deal with that right now. We, we're too right. close to win the World Series. Now, if it hadn't been last year, the situation we were in, I would say, yeah, definitely do the move for Quig. Um, because I think about it with Brandon Phillips, and, and I think about how good he became with the Reds. I mean, I know he's not all-time great or anything, but he just played tremendously better. And, like, I used to watch him every day. I'm like, you know the guy's got the talent, but clearly he emotionally wasn't invested. Like, you talk about the contract and all that stuff that the Indians had to do to, you know, get their clubhouse to where they wanted it. Um, so, no, I don't think it's right for right now, but it's something definitely I would look at in the offseason possibly. I mean, we'll talk about that then because, you know what I like to talk about? I like to talk about winning. So, we'll focus on That's that. That's right. <laughs> well, after our, after our World Series victory show and uh, two Cleveland championships, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about week. Now, somebody's got to explain to me, and I, I'm about to get heated about this situation, about how many times we're going to celebrate Jim Tomey and his accomplishments <laughs> with the Cleveland Indians. Amen. And the last, and the last year up. And I, I'm sorry Vince is not on. We were going to have Vince Key on to defend Jim Tomey. Um, so at least we don't get that big argument going. Um, we got some big news coming with him and the NEO uh, insiders. But um, I don't understand what the Indians are trying to prove. And now you got people from the Indians. you got Matt Underwood and these guys trashing Albert Bell for not showing up for the ceremony. And then in the, in the same breath, celebrating Jim Tomey. And I, I'm sorry, what did Jim Tomey actually do win for the Indians? I mean, this is guy, a guy who selfishly took the money and has been nothing but celebrated for his own accolades. And I heard somebody talking about Jim Tomey, and I forgot about this. It's not like this guy came out of – it wasn't like he did a Francisco Lindor and literally carried the Indians with his momentum and the way that he played. This guy struggled to even get to the big leagues after going up and down three or four times. So I I don't know, you know, like, I just hope this is the end of the Jim Tomey celebration. I mean, there's so many other people in the Indians' history. I mean, if you think about Satchel Paige coming in, and we've talked about it time and time again, I just know we could be celebrating somebody else. I mean, hell, Kenny Lawson was sitting there, and it was like, you know, he was at Jim Tomey's celebration like he wasn't going into the Hall of Fame. Too. So I don't understand what the Indians are doing. 
um, in this love affair with Jim Stoney that has continued on. And I know that might not be popular out there, but I don't care. That's the way I feel about the tribe. So and I've been there. No, no I, I agree. And you don't even have to go back as far as Satchel Page or any other team. I, I think he's the fourth most important person, possibly the fifth most important person on those 90 teams. After you talk about Kenny Lofton and Omar Vizquel and Sandy Alomar and Albert Bell, I mean, and you could even make the argument for Manny Ramirez as being uh, more influential with what the Indians did. And the other thing about those guys, none of them, they may have left, but none of them said, I'm a Clevelander and I'm going to stay here in Cleveland if the money's the same, and then run out the door the moment Philadelphia gives you an extra year. So I don't want to hear it from Jim Tomey anymore. I'm done with it. I'm bitter enough that he's the only guy with the statue out front from that those teams and it's not Omar Vizquel or someone else that was more of an Indian. Now, I know they have this planned automatically. Once again, this is the, and this is why, you know, they're always a little out of touch, at least with the fans. But to me, stop with the celebrations and whatnot, because it's more in bad taste. And, you know, we try to bring it up on every podcast, even if we're not talking about them. But I think it's more in bad taste. This guy has a statue in downtown Cleveland. LeBron James just won a championship for the Kings Cavaliers after 52 years. But the one statue in downtown Cleveland is Jim fucking Tommy. I mean, come on, man. Jim Tommy. good Lord. So, I mean, I, I just think the Indians are real. Uh, they are not in touch with what's going on. I know you couldn't plan for the Cavs winning the championship. But when I would have saw the Cavs win the championship with 1.3 million people downtown, I'd be like, you know what, we've got to scale back the Jim Tommy celebration. I mean, we've done enough for this guy. If I was somewhere in the front office with the Cleveland Indians, and what are you going to offend him? And he's going to take the money and go to Philadelphia again? I mean, what is he going to do? No, I mean, how we had a guy here playing Cleveland that may have been the greatest football player of all time, not have a statue. And Jim Tomey's got a statue. I'm fine with Bob Feller having a statue because of what he meant to this organization. And he didn't get a statue till 30 years out removed from baseball or 40 years removed from baseball. He's a World War II hero. He deserves a statue. Uh, Larry Doby deserves a statue. Jim Comey doesn't deserve shit. He deserves maybe being in the Indians Hall of Fame at some point, but he is far, far from statue worthy. And I know somebody else that deserves a statue, we can add Frank Robinson. I mean, like, I don't – what are we waiting for on that one? Um, you know, we, we and then Jim Brown is getting his statue. They, they are working on it, so it will be uh, unveiled this year. So, uh, but – I mean, we might as well get ready for this LeBron James statue, too. So uh, you look ahead at the Indian schedule. Anything, your your trepidation, I mean, hopefully we don't have the Twins. I think we got the Twins coming up in September again. But, I mean, between Purple and uh, and his uh, uh, home run derby that he was running through Cleveland, I mean, anybody else on this schedule that you're looking at, or is it more about the Indians just getting right as we move through the end of August and September? Yeah, I think it's the latter. It's just a matter of continuing to what do what they do, uh, stay gutsy, play hard, get through this little bit of uh, trouble with the starting staff, hopefully get a little bit healthier, and uh, you only play the Twins six more times. So if you can just lose those six, then that's it. We'll be in good shape. All right. Well, as always, roll tribe, uh, believe land. <laughs> statues for people who deserve it. I think we need a statue in Cleveland, D. Uh, no, nah, man. See, that's the thing. I would. Here's the thing. If I was going to tell me, I wouldn't even have took this statue. I would have like, you know what, I think that's in poor taste because I just know 
what I've done. I mean, if you say for fan wise, yeah, I'll take a statue. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> for for griping about the Dolans being cheap, yeah, I'll take a statue. But you know, like uh, those are my accomplishments. There uh, should be a fan statue, by the way, for all the stuff we put up with. Well, you know what? They could do that with a John Adams statue. Um, I think Something they should like be, that. They should put one in right field, honestly, and he sits next to it, and he could like sit his like concessions on. There's not a lot of room to sit stuff on when you're sitting the bleachers. You know, if we so, put uh, if we put Big Dog on that statue, is there a Cavs fan equivalent to those two mm-hmm. that we could add to that statue? No, definitely not Geraldo so. Rivera, who's a bandwagon fan. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I don't know if we got an equivalent to a Browns fan. Uh, we talk about the Big Dog. Browns. Probably Big Dog. Yeah, Big Dog. Um, Let's go, ladies. Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns are packed. Training camp has, you know, come and gone. Oh, come and gone. Training camp is in full effect. Um, did you go to the Orange and Brown scrimmage? I did. Okay. Well, let's lead off there. So, training camp's in full effect. We got the big – they had the big Friday night, you know, game-worthy scrimmage, which I don't know what's you Jackson. I've heard the explanations. There's no need to go in there. We've all heard the explanations, but – your thoughts on what you saw at the Orange and Brown scrimmage? Um, I know one of the big things was just Terrell Pryor getting over his NCAA penalties and, you know, being officially welcomed back to the shoe. We know he's came back and signed autographs, but this time he was on the field. He even threw up the old the blocko, I mean, and caught a couple touchdowns. I mean, your impressions of what you saw all the way around from, you know, having the access at the Orange and Brown scrimmage? Well, when they're only in helmets and shorts and shirts, it's it's hard to get a good read on, especially the defensive players, the blocking, the defensive line, the linebackers, uh, the running game. So what I watched closely was a lot of the wide receivers, the route running, and the quarterbacks. And uh, I'll tell you what, Terrell Fry was very impressive. He was out there with the ones. Uh, RG3 was throwing him the ball. I think he had five catches in about three three possessions. Then he went over 100 yards easily and scored a long touchdown. Uh, definitely the fans were into him probably the most. Uh, Josh Gordon was there uh, in practice, was catching balls from RG3. So he looks like uh, his injury is pretty close to getting him back on the field for the preseason until the suspension starts. Uh, I was impressed as hell with Corey Coleman. He was out there for the practices and was super fast, even just in practice, and then uh, came back out for when they brought the team back out for the games. Uh, he had his left hamstring wrapped uh, in ice. So Hugh Jackson's downplayed it, said it's nothing. It's more precautionary than anything else. Uh, but he was impressive as well. Uh, RG3 looked really good. Uh, he was definitely the, the best quarterback out there. McCown threw a, a an interception that was returned down to the two-yard line, uh, and looked he looked all right. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, Kessler really was inaccurate for all that we've made about his accuracy. Uh, he was 0 for 4 when I sat there and was done watching them, uh, and it just looked shaky, let's put it that way. It looked like a rookie. Uh, and then Adams looked okay as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean – Good, overall, good uh, practice. It looked very uh, like they were engaged in it. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, it, it was hard to tell with the, the helmets and the, and the shirts and shorts. But still a good time. A lot of people down there. Um, big party out in front of St. John Arena before the scrimmage. And uh, 
a good time. Probably about 45% capacity, 40 to 50% capacity at the shoe. I'd say maybe 40,000 to 50,000 people, I guess, would be that. Yeah. The official number was 42,000, so you're dead on with yeah, that. Um, there you go. Yeah, it, the other one that you think about that I know you didn't get to see was Irving, who's been struggling this week with his elbow injury, um, which I think is really, I mean, I, it's three it's three stages on it's three things I'm worried about with the Cleveland Browns. I mean, we could get into we're not going to go deep into the position battles and whatnot, but the one position I'm worried about is that right tackle. Um, I'm worried about left tackle too, but I don't know if I want to go down that road after bashing Jim Tom. Um The Mitchell Schwartz leaving and the Browns letting him go, and now we see that they had the Alvin Bailey the acquisition from the Seahawks, but now the rookie Spencer Drango has been getting time there since uh, Thursday. So I'm worried about that offensive line because you talk about the offensive skill position looking, you know, uh, it's just in a positive light and looking, you know, forward. But those guys are only going to be as good as as much time as RG3 or McCown or whoever, even if it's inaccurate Cody Kessler, which we knew in the draft when you take a guy in the third round. But I'm worried about this offensive line. Another thing I'm worried about, and the direct question is, did you see anything with the kicking game? Is Travis Schoon still – Thinking, I mean, where are we at with that? You know, that's something special teams there. And is it too much if I'm thinking that special teams should actually be the best unit on this Browns team this season, considering the influx of all the young guys and Chris Tabor, the, the cockroach of the Cleveland Browns, um, this is his year to shine and make that impact with special teams? You would think it would be the most, uh, the strongest unit on the team after he's been, it's, it's continuity for the last, 25 years, I believe, with Chris Tabor. Uh, but, yeah, it, it was okay, actually. Coons and uh, whoever, I can't remember the kid they brought in to, as a second kicker, but uh, they both looked good. Uh, Coons didn't miss anything that I saw. Uh, kickoffs were going out of the end zone for him. Uh, they did have one uh, kick return for a touchdown as far as the special teams goes, but, you know, that's a double-edged sword because, the Browns also gave up the the kick return for a touchdown. So you liked it in one respect, but you hated it in another respect. Uh, but, yeah, the special teams looked okay to me. No no issues there at all. All right. Well, that's very encouraging. That's very encouraging. Other thing that's encouraging, you talked about Terrell Pryor. I know Gary Barnett is out there. He caught uh, three balls. Um, you know, but just him coming off the spurt turning, I just think it's amazing that he's even, you know, practicing and training. We got guys going down with hamstrings and whatnot. I don't know. I mean, everybody has their own injuries. Uh, the other thing is, with Irving now, you look at that center position, and Graham steps in. Uh, we know we're still holding on for the dark horse, uh, Matthews, but he might not be ready till middle of the season or something like that. Um, anybody else stand out? Uh, we've got this log jam and wide receiver. we got all those rookies that they took. Any of those guys, you know, you see anything from Hollywood Higgins or Ricardo Lewis, any of those receivers taken? Actually, Jordan Payton was the most impressive to me of all of them. Uh, he's bigger than I thought he was, and he's faster than I thought he was. And he made a couple of nice catches as well. So uh, Jordan Payton, I don't, know, I don't know if they were during the game or if they were in the practice before the game, but uh, I remember him standing out for those reasons. Uh, we know Duke Johnson had one, but, you know, my trepidation is always with him. He got hurt on the first day of training camp, so. I'm glad he's still just, you know, rocking and rolling as we move along. I almost, if anybody was going to get a veteran's day off, I would give it to Duke Johnson. I just, 
The other thing I I did notice was uh, Isaiah Crowell was received. He wasn't booed. He wasn't cheered. There was nothing. So uh, I think the the Instagram stuff and then the mea culpa since uh, has put it all under the rug as far as at least what the fans goes. Yeah, and I've talked to a couple other fan bases about it. I mean, you, you think that, uh, you know, people almost wanted him out of here, and a lot of people said, yeah, they didn't understand what Hugh Jackson did there. But I think the Browns actually, that might be a telltale sign of the Browns actually moving forward more than anything else. We talk, we always talk about the, you know, phrases changing the culture and whatnot, that that thing didn't blow up and become a you, – you always think about stories that stay in the media or stay with the fan base, that that didn't linger become something longer. Nobody's saying that he didn't do anything wrong or anything like that, but just being able to address it and move forward is a huge step for the Cleveland Browns. And then one last last update was uh, Mr. Cleveland, Joe Hayden, uh, was there. uh, Heavily wrapped calf still, though. He looks like he's a a little bit out. As soon as him, and I, I can't say this enough times, as soon as Joe Hayden's healthy, I mean, I would trade him and Joe Ship Thomas. Ship him. Ship him. Uh, people were ready. New people day. were ready. People were ready to get Josh McCown to the Cowboys immediately. So I don't understand how, if you really are trade happy, that's not one of the trades you're looking for. Because I mean, we're talking about first rounders. I was thinking about it, and it's not want to really go heavy in the 2017 draft talk. But if you pick up the number one quarterback who might play in a small town in South Carolina. You pick up the number one. You pick up the number one running back who may play in a small, uh, small parish in uh, South Louisiana, Southwest South Louisiana. Yeah, and I mean, I, and I mean, then able to add another guy in that first round, uh, or yeah. round, I, I mean, yeah, you might have something there going. I, if, if my goal for the Browns this year is to win between four and six games and be very competitive in all of them and be getting better, but I do not want an eight and eight season this year. So definitely looking forward to the excitement of the first preseason game this Friday. So, um, and we get the Packers on a short week. So, uh, and you talk about the Packers, they're playing in that Hall of Fame game. Um, I don't know if you got to see any Hall of Fame speeches. I think Orlando Pace's speech just meant a lot to us, being Buckeye fans and seeing his career, how he you know, just was all class his whole career, and just simply the best. And I posed this question to you because I thought about it last night. I actually have my buddy in town from Ohio. We were set sitting around talking about stuff, but um, would you would you, would you you rather have Orlando Pace or would you rather have perennial pro bowler and and everybody says is going to the Hall of Fame, Joe Thomas, at that position? Well, Joe Thomas, I, in my mind, is going to the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's been – the numbers itself, the percentages that he has as far as finishing assignments, protecting quarterbacks, he's been great. But – he never got a stat invented for him like Orlando Pace did. Orlando Pace invented the pancake block, and now it is a real stat. So it's not even close to me, for me. Uh, Joe Thomas could go back up and play in Wisconsin for Green Bay, give me Orlando Pace all day. And uh, one other thing that Orlando Pace mentioned, and I, you know, this guy maybe gets a scratch a little bit, but one of the great offensive linemen, in Ohio State history, and also in the NFL, who played for the Minnesota Vikings, uh, Corey Stringer, uh, the late Corey Stringer. So, uh, yeah. you know, you, you you think about that lineage of offensive linemen that came through Ohio State, um, some of the best, you know. And Orlando Pace just talked about how he mentored him 
when he got there as a freshman and whatnot. Corey Stringer was just a big influence on his life. I just, you know, it was just, I, I don't know, like the Hall of Fame speeches, even Kevin Green's speech, I mean, we know he was feeling and whatnot. Yeah. But it was, a, it was a good speech, um, you know. And then Eddie DeBartolo, oh, what can you say? I mean, you just sit there and cringe, and I know from your hometown it may it's even <laughs> worse. So I can only imagine, you know, like it, it, the guy should – we think about the – you think about two things that would have changed Cleveland sports history, and when, this is not that episode. Uh, this is not going to be that podcast. But if George Steinbrenner would have been allowed to buy the Indians and then Eddie DeBarlo, the DeBarlo senior, would have been able to buy the Cleveland Browns, I mean, where would we be right now? So, you know, like – he was a great, great owner. And then uh, one last thing on Orlando Pace, and I don't know if you agree or disagree, but to me, he's been the best Buckeye, the greatest Buckeye of the last 25 years, let's say. Oh, absolutely. Accomplishment, yeah. And his demeanor, I mean, you see the guy, he's always got a smile, always great with the fans. I mean, yeah. And, I mean, two stops, but they talked about that greatest show on turf. I mean, Kirk Warner was known for getting the ball out fast and early, but if he wasn't getting that blind side protected, he would have been back back in groceries in Iowa, so, you know, real quick. Um, yeah, it was a great Hall of Fame weekend. So, I mean, we know football, so there's a reason that the Hall of Fame is in Canton, Ohio, because that's where football stated, started. So you think about the great lineage. It's great to see the bus. great to see people enjoy Ohio in that way. And uh, I can't wait till they finish the new development project that they have with a new hotel and more facilities uh, there in Canton to go along with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But, we get to watch football tonight, and that's also a good thing out of Canton, Ohio. So very excited for that. We get to watch football from now until February. There is no weeks without football from now on. And, Dan, am I happy about that? All right. Well, that has been the podcast, Show 99, Be Aggressive. We're looking for the Browns to be aggressive uh, when they take the field here on Friday. And, of course, the Cleveland Indians, uh, for once, the front office gets it done. And they're moving in the right direction as we finish this marathon of the baseball season. You threw the numbers out. All we got to do is get to the playoffs and win this AL. So, and we'll definitely be covering it here on Within Ohio Bias. Want to sign out? Yeah, absolutely, D. Looking forward to the end of the Indians, the beginning of football season. Uh, make sure you guys tune in, catch the live show. Tuesday and Thursdays, scoreonair.com, the scores, the new generation of sports talk radio coming at you. That's Tuesdays and Thursdays with an Ohio bias live, scoreonair.com. And we thank you for listening. We appreciate every tweet, every favorite, every like, any and every share that you make of our stories, podcasts, and our opinions. Uh, every comment and anyone and everybody that listens to this podcast, uh, we really appreciate it. Like that. Please share, like, and follow us. Email and tweet us, you know, at With an Ohio Bias on Twitter, With an Ohio Bias on Facebook, With an Ohio Bias on Instagram. Uh, your thoughts, agree, disagree, the discussion of our teams is a passion that fuels our fandom. Um, we want to take this moment and salute all the medical professionals, doctors, nurses, caregivers, anyone who eases the pain of those in pain. Thank you to all the teachers, uh, police and firemen, firefighters and uh Thank you to all the teachers, police, firemen, and first responders, uh, and all those that serve. We give our thoughts and prayers to the troops in service, the veterans who have returned, those we lost that are missing in action. Um, and a big shout-out to the Coast Guard, uh, who sometimes gets forgotten, but our guy David Nodell of the Cavs Cavalry actually got his retirement. So, But he'll have more time to post stuff about the Cavs and the Browns and Indians. 
this is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. As always, go Browns, go Cavs. Wrestling is real. MMA, hell yeah. LFC. As always, go CBJ. The Crew SC oil up with the Ohio machine. Roll Tribe and go Bucks. Did you want to say anything about any else? No, because I, I forgot to hit this up. we got to do a little segment at some point where we get him. Um, I want to do a Buckeyes podcast. We're going to bring on the Cincinnati guy. We talk uh, just like a little primer for the season. But I want to do that at some point this week with the uh, after we get some information out of camp base. You know what I mean? Cool. Uh, How do you know the Cincinnati guy? Uh, just from... I mean, basically online stuff like going back and forth. But we were supposed to meet up for the day before, but he's just a rabbit, rabbit calf fan, rabbit, you know what I mean? He's like a friend of a friend, but he was over. Uh, I never met him. I met him back in the day a couple times, but he had been in the Army. So he had been in, like, you know, Iraq and stuff. So, And then he's been gotcha. back for like a year. He's been back for like maybe two years. So, But just through Facebook and stuff like that, I mean, um, so. Okay, but the, cool, I man. mean, you know, that was one of the big things that we had heard. People were always like, "Oh, you know, you guys don't have any Bengals coverage." Now we got too much. So, yeah. I, I, I like the, I don't mind the Bengal coverage. I, what I don't like is the Go Bengals and the Who Day and We Are Cincinnati and that sort of stuff. I mean, it, Putting, it, I mean that 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 that's that Bengals fan. I mean, we do that for the Brown stuff. So, right, we're a Browns station though. <laughs> Well, it's with an Ohio bias, man. So we're gonna cover all sports in Ohio. So you know what I mean? Damn I mean, it. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we got. I'll just. Gotta, the, the name's got to make sense. I mean, then it's gonna be with the Cleveland bias. So we can. All yeah. right. All right. Uh, I'll just have to suck it up and cringe. Yeah. So well, hey, man, <laughs> you're still free to tweet more Brown stuff. Yeah, you know I mean, so. I, I'll get it in there as I can, man. All right. All right. All right. Good stuff. <laughs> All right, brother. All right, I'll let you know what's going on with fantasy football. We're going to probably put that together this week and uh, come up with a draft day. All right. I got a draft day at 4 o'clock, so. Oh, okay, cool. Nice. All right, yeah, we'll just speak to get that Buckeye one in. And that's what I was trying to say. We'll get Vince in at that time, and then – so. I, I just didn't. I just forgot to email the guy about this morning, so that was on me. So it was just bad on me. So. That's cool. I, I get it. I didn't want. I didn't want to hit the guy at the ten fifteen and be like, "Oh man, yeah, can you jump on the podcast?" You know. So yeah. And once I get some, uh, we took a lot of content down at the Orange and Brown, so I'm going to try to get some up on the website uh, and also out on Twitter from the Orange and Brown scrimmage. All right. Very good. Cool. All right. Later, man. All right, talk to you later.